What a mysterious book. Boring though. I, I'll just skip to the end. And there's a screen here. It, whoa, 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 whoa. Where, where, where am I? What is this mist? Erious Island. Uh, hello? Oh, is, it, is anyone there? I, I hope I get the opportunity to explore this whole island. Huh. Well, those are the second biggest gears I've ever seen. That's the smallest observatory I've ever seen. Unless it's just far away. Um, okay, okay, think. Uh, there's a note on the ground, so someone else has been here. Let me try this suspicious wall here. And, uh... Oh, weird. A bird bath inside. And I'll try this. Oh. Catherine, Catherine, my love. Something terrible has happened. It's it's my books. They've, they've all been burned. I think it may have been one of our sons. I suspect the gibbering madman, but it could have been the Machiavellian fop. There's no way to be sure. I've taken the undamaged books and put them in the places of protection, but it won't be necessary to use them or the tower rotation. Just go to page in the book on the little shelf and reach me. Just to be safe, erase this message after you view it. And of course, watch out for fireballs. I'm uh, Gary Butterfield. I'm Cole Ross. This is episode two of Watch Out for Fireballs, and we're talking about Mist, which is, I think, out of all the games in the world, the game where you least have to watch out for fireballs. There is fire in the game, but most of it is safely contained within torches. No, no fireballs to uh, to attack you in this game. You look pretty silly dodging them. Why? I, I spent a lot of time dodging them just inadvertently. Right. Well, it's in the spirit of the show. So, so Mist. Uh, if you don't know about this game, uh, ring the bell, and we'll send Tommy back there with a tack hammer. <laughs> um, it, it it was the best selling PC game um, of all time up until. Uh, the Sims came out, and it is a delightful little point-and-click adventure game. It came out in uh, 1993 for PC and Mac, and it was developed by a small studio called Cyan Worlds, which consisted of Rand and Robin Miller, uh, and a few other employees are not really that important. It was notable for being the first game to require a CD-ROM drive, uh, which drove sales of the hardware. And this was, you know, this is a really small company. Uh, they mostly did educational games. They had kind of their practice run for Mist. They had a game called The Manhole. Uh, that came out. Have you ever played that, Cole? I personally have not, but I've read a great deal about it. It was their attempt to make a children's game that didn't suck. Right, and um, I think that they, you know, maybe it doesn't suck, and they kind of forgot the game part. Um, I've I've played the manhole. You know, it's kind of, the parts, there are parts of Mist where you walk up to a table, and you touch, you know, a sphere, and it turns into a cube, and the manhole is an entire game of that. There are are no puzzles, there are no obstacles. Um, So they obviously, I think they try to make this a little bit more gamey, 
with this and a lot more serious and adult as well. It was built on this hypercard engine uh, as the manhole was as well, uh, which really was only used for informational purposes in business. The player, you know, you, you navigate between various pre-rendered scenes and find objects to interact with. And that's just about uh, the only interaction in the in the game which is kind of a point of consternation for a lot of people who uh naysay against it and that's um just kind of one aspect um you know as we mentioned before this game was hugely popular uh six million copies you know and you know multiple people just kind of playing each copy in the early days passing it around um ran miller one of the the creators he attributes the success to the appeal to female gamers um which at the time was an untapped audience but i also think that kind of non-interactive part which right now i think kind of stymies people probably also contributed to the success of the game in that, you know, there are no reflexes required. Um, there's no way to die. There's so little actual conflict in the game that uh, people who maybe feel like they couldn't sit down and play Super Mario Brothers and, and navigate the level, they could still play Myst. The game is supremely non-threatening. I mean, even for as foreboding uh, as it is. Yeah, def- definitely it is accessible because you could really just walk around and appreciate the graphics, which were uh, marvelous at the time. And I think even today it still kind of have this otherworldly quality to them, at least in the design. You know, the actual technical execution is is woefully antiquated today. But uh, I, I still just love the the visual aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. It still it still looks good. Like the the still shots still look still look pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a it's easy to do that kind of thing where things don't have to animate. It's easy to to be impressive. Yeah, and that was kind of the claim to fame for this game too. The two you know the two things that I remember when, when it first came out, they're really notable, were that it was huge, you know, and it required a CD-ROM, and also how beautiful it was. Going to some, you know, kind of uh, famous quotes about the game, Douglas Adams, of course, the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, once called the game, quote, a beautiful void uh, because of the overwhelming sense of solitude uh, throughout the game. Yeah, this is, this is a very lonely game. You can't actually interact in person with another character until the end. Um, everything is done through these kind of portals, and messages and notes, um, all information is kind of passed to you secondhand. So you really do get the sense of being 100% alone on this island. And there, there's a lot to be said about that as the as kind of the the, the main appeal. Jerry Holkins of, uh, of Penny Arcade, he wrote something that was really interesting about this. I don't know if I could say it any better. Mist, Mist 4, and Uru in particular tell stories that aren't just fascinating for their explicit storytelling, by which I mean the kind of storytelling one typically sees, which is to say those portions of a game that in capital letters blink on and off with the words, this is the story part, dog. These are games whose richest narrative is inherent in their respective worlds, where the puzzles rise organically from the personalities in play. The places you visit in Mist are all created by someone, which makes them reflections of their character. So when you make your way through these places, their mind is laid bare. Yeah, there's a lot of talk now about games that uh, have kind of indirect storytelling. Um, you know, it's something you hear a lot with like Bioshock. Um, storytelling is told through the environment. And uh, this, this, you know, I don't know if I could say it did it first, but I think it's probably, you know, the first one to kind of set the watermark. The Beatles didn't invent rock and roll. You're going to compare every game we do to the Beatles. Yes, I am. Until eventually it just, you know, it gets so granular that... Well, if Mega Man X is the, you know, the help era Beatles, where it's just super catchy and, and appeals to, to everyone. This is Revolver. Yeah, this is the Revolver of, of games, of Beatles, of albums. That's my thing. It's my catchphrase.
talk to us a little bit about the plot of uh, of Mist, bare though it may be, at least on the surface. Kind of what we're talking about is just how you know, how rich this is. But if you summarize it, it doesn't really seem so much. It seems really simple. Um, you play as a character called the Stranger, and uh, you happen upon a magical book, and it teleports you to the island of Mist, and uh, it's uninhabited. It's filled with all these kind of buildings and strange architecture and weird paths and strange devices. And you're just left to explore. I mean, you literally, there's nothing, you know, telling you to go forward. There's no immediate danger. Um, it's just up to you as if you were really there, just kind of walk around and see what you can see. So after doing that a little bit, you find a note and uh, you kind of find the plot. And there, apparently there's a guy named Atris and uh, you, you activate like a voicemail like a, a video voicemail that he left for his wife. And uh, he's just, you know, I'm missing. He's warning his wife about his two sons. He's got two sons named uh, Sirius and Akinar. And uh, eventually you find them. They're trapped in red and blue kind of prison books. So at that point, you know, he also gives you the key to kind of unlocking the different different areas you go to. And uh, using that key, you go to different ages and find missing pages of these books and kind of have the story laid out for you very indirectly. As you return these pages to the books... The brothers both kind of vie for your favor and, and tell you to return the books to them rather than the, the other one. And then uh, at the end, you know, you can either decide to decide with either of the brothers or you can uh, side with Atris. And uh, if if you side with Atris, which is the good ending, um, he puts the brothers away. There are spoilers in that paragraph. You know, if you, it's, yeah, it's a pretty old game, though. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a really basic plot. And to say everything works out is the good ending. That's not a real surprise. Um, right. But the but the real thing, you know, the surprise, at least to somebody coming into it completely uninformed, is that both the brothers are completely evil. And you, you get a pretty strong hint about that. You know, Idris says, you know, I think it was one of our sons did this. Well, he specifically implicates Akinar. Right. I think the game in general sets you up to think it was Akinar the whole time because he's this bearding, gibbering madman. Right. And even even though I think that they both pretty much wear their, their evil on their sleeves, Akinar is probably a little bit less evil because he's crazy. But I, I don't remember. I was not shocked when I found out they were evil. You know, I this is the my first playthrough. I got to the end and I, I chose the good ending, you know, without having read up on it. It's a game where you are being actively lied to the entire time. And similar to, you know, you had drawn a distinction um, kind of in our notes to Bioshock, because that's kind of the the point of Bioshock. And what's interesting is Bioshock, it's kind of commenting on game mechanics. You don't actually have choice. And in games, you don't actually have choice. And this is similar to that, too, where you're being lied to by the brothers. But if you're not going to go retrieve pages, what are you going to do? The, the the plot in this, it's it's refreshing. And that's a strange thing to say about a game that came out, you know, 14 years ago. Uh, maybe even more than that, 17 years ago. I can't do math, gentlemen. <laughs> but, I mean, it's a story about fathers and sons, which is which is something that even today we don't see an awful lot of. I think most notably in the past decade we've had, you know, heavy rain, and that was it. But this is father-son betrayal going back to, you know, Cain and Abel, and it's just strange to see that represented, you know, kind of so maturely and plainly in a game. But also there's this conceit of the, the Denis, who are these uh, ancient race of dimension-hopping, dimension-creating demigods who can write entire worlds into existence, or at least write books that describe a world that already exists and then link to go there. But right. that gets into the more esoteric parts of the fiction. We'll get into your fan fiction uh, <laughs> in, in a little bit, Cole. <laughs> we'll focus on what's on the what's on the page, what's canon. Okay. For now, I mean, and, and you know, eventually Atris gets that power, 
So that is why, you know, he's on this island. And ultimately, um, when you talk about it's a family story, it's also really a story about how power corrupts, you know, because both of the sons, um, it's strongly implied that, you know, it was this greed that kind of corrupted them and, uh, you know, caused their their eventual downfalls to to be imprisoned. The way that is expressed, one of my favorite things about the storytelling in this game is that um, the father, you meet Idris, and he talks about how, you know, he suspects his sons of, of uh, destroying his books. Then when you, when you find them in the prison, you know that they've done something wrong, but you don't really know what it is. And uh, you can read a book for each age, and it describes them, not as you find them, but kind of in, you know, at their peak. You know, it's it's Atris's adventures and he meets, you know, different peoples, you know, in, in these different ages. And then when you eventually make your way to the ages, they are wrecked. They're at best, you know, 100% deserted. There's no living people on them or they're, you know, literally trashed. You kind of come to piece together and you have to put two and two together yourself that it was the two brothers who who did this, you know, who ultimately uh, killed these people or caused their destruction. You know, it's really kind of chilling that you're coming to it after the fact. Right. You're seeing it and it's all building a case for one or the other. And nothing says more about them than when you come across their own rooms on the on the islands. Right. Right. Their own caches of their internal uh, workings, I suppose. Sirius with his lust for gold and Akinar, uh with his maps of conquest. Um, and, w- and what's interesting about that is that uh, you, know, you have these, these two kids who are raised by by a man who has this power. And uh, kind of globe trots from age to age, and it's 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 just such a strange upbringing, you know. They've got no kind of context. I think kind of the first hint that there might be something weird is in the book where they're talking about the um, Channelwood Age is inhabited by this race of monkey people, and uh, Atreus has to keep leaving to go explore other ages and to visit his wife wife Catherine. And the kids eventually are like, you know, we want to stay here. At some point, he they're getting too used to it and they're they're becoming more manipulative. You know, of of the people, you know, because the the father and the two sons are kind of worshipped monkey gods. Yeah, yeah, monkey gods. You know, it's that's you know, you you travel back in time to primitive people and and show them a lighter kind of thing. Yeah, break the prime directive. You know, that, that's Atreus's real sin. The, this this is a theme. You know, the the corruption of power and you know, and man grew proud. That's that's something that's echoed throughout the series. And when you find out more about the Dene themselves, and this isn't just fan fiction. Um, <laughs> Mist, Mist 3, that explores kind of how Sirius and Akinar have really kind of messed up these worlds in a very specific way. Mist 2 specifically as well. Riven, sorry, the sequel to Mist, as, it, right. is, as <laughs> it is officially called. That that goes actually in-depth even further with uh, with Atrus's father. And that's actually said to be the downfall of the entire Dini race. And so you've, you've played the, the later games, and I have not. So I feel like you've kind of got a wider context. So when you were replaying the first one, were you reflecting on things you knew from later games? I was. I was looking for uh, themes that would show up a little bit later from what I knew about those games, which I had played more recently uh, than this one, um, and kind of looking for the the, the things that they abandoned, um, and specifically the plot holes that are created by the weird continuity uh, shifts and problems with the way that linking linking books work. It's very 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 geeky thing to to point out and notice, but uh, in general, it's all very solid, and I think that on this more personal level, it's almost more interesting just looking at these three people than it is when you compare entire kind of clans of this uh, of this whole race. Right. I thought the story was really compact and, uh, you know, economical. And then at the end, when you get the good ending, again, spoiler, Atreus says, hey, I'm going to need your help, you know, in, in Riven. He doesn't say Riven, but 
you know, he sets it up for a sequel. You pretty much end the game hanging out with Atris uh, or hanging out on his island, just waiting for him to call on you again. You know, there's no there's no food there or anything. It's like he, he he's, he's really Atris is really kind of a condescending shit. He, he says, you know, your your reward for getting the good ending and freeing him from the prison and uh, putting away his sons is that uh, you may hang out on the island and look through his books. Thinking that's it. I'm pretty sure that I saw all of like everything that there is to see. Here. <laughs> you, you, you more or less have to, you know, you can go visit these, these trashed landscapes, these uh, empty voids of uh, lands where there's no one else to socialize with. It's because he's too busy and you know, he's too busy writing ribbon. Well, he's too busy keeping ribbon from falling apart. Right. Oh, right. Spoiler. Now, all of this talk about misplot, you're probably wondering what's the actual game like. Um, I think the most succinct way that I can put it is, aside from pointing and clicking, the key mechanic of this game, and actually all of the missed games, is really quietly paying attention and reading and taking notes, which meant that since I played this as a small child, I was the most boring person alive and continue to be. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty surprised when I started playing it and realized that I needed to start writing stuff down. Um, I haven't done that in a really long time. You know, I've got somewhere maps of, you know, Metroid that I'd written. But uh, this is the first time I'd made, you know, made, literally made notes in, in at least 10 years in a game. It's pretty crazy. You can tell how much of a game fan somebody is by uh, how much graph paper they have in their house willingly. Are you in high school algebra? Cool. Graph paper. <laughs> Are you a mathematician? Cool. Graph paper. Anything else? No. Yeah, the, the level kind of goes high school algebra missed dungeon master <laughs> and, the, 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 and, the, and with no points in between really exactly yeah. it's asymptotic but mm. yeah sitting down and writing stuff out and paying attention that is really kind of the extent of it and really just kind of uh feeling about the world and pretending that you're there which is something that is uh, a little bit difficult if you're jaded somewhat by oh mm -hmm. this game nothing's happening i don't see anything you know, right. I didn't mean to do my stupid person voice. For that. I apologize. <laughs> all these idiots who don't like this game, you, you clods. And they, they, it's so intentional, too, because the I remember um, we'll talk about our first experiences with this game at some point. But uh, I played it on my, my iPod this time when I originally seen the game um, with my uncle. He had the manual. The manual has 90 blank pages in it. Like they package this game with a notebook. You know, it's, hey, you need to use this, which is such a strong statement. The manual doesn't tell you what to do. The game doesn't tell you what to do. All it says is the lighthouse is the key. And once you figure out how to get back there and what the st what the significance of all of those markings is, then you start to put the pieces into place. And that was something where uh, in my playthrough, playing it through on the iPod um, was kind of a weakness. It's a pretty good port. Um, however, so in that main game, you have a cursor, you move around that's shaped like your hand and that changes shapes when you can interact with an object or move in a direction on the iPod, it's all tapping. So there are different, there are places, you know, when I got to, uh, when I needed to go to Channelwood, I did Channelwood last. And, uh, the reason why is because I found the little cabin where the marker is. I had no idea there was a giant tree behind it mm -hmm. because I didn't think to click behind it. There's nothing really to indicate. There's no path, you know, at least as far as I recall, I might be misremembering, right. but whether it's because I'm an idiot or because the game uh, was not made for that. 
I didn't know that tree was there. And that's where a great deal of the frustration will arise. And I think that this might be a large part of where the uh, derogatory term pixel hunting may come from, because you eventually get into this habit of, okay, I must be missing something because I'm entirely stuck. I know kind of what I need to do, but I don't have all the pieces. So I'm just going to like walk to every screen and click and see if I go somewhere. Because like you said, those paths are not always apparent. And to me, I don't really understand that that feels like a flaw in in the game instead of a, a flaw to me and directing you to the different areas would not be a real problem and i feel like that's something that in more recent times has been paid attention to a lot um something you know 100 180 of a game but i think about uh, left for dead mm-hmm. and the good job that does in directing you or valve in general um you always know where to go playing a valve game at least as far as the pathfinding. like i don't need anyone to hold my hand but i want to know what is a path Valve, they should like open up a consulting business for designing amusement parks because they are second only to Disney in that regard, I think. Yeah, totally. This is like something, did you know this is an entire genre of games, the hidden object uh, genre? Yeah, yeah, which there's definitely a direct line from those to Mist, and those are really popular with uh, like the pop cap crowd, Mm -hmm. you know, like the casual gamers are really into that, and I don't think they, you know, maybe understand the, the legacy there, but... That's pretty that's pretty similar to Mist. There's not that much. Well, maybe not the hidden object game so much, but I'm thinking more the like the flash game like the escape from a room. Oh yeah, room escape stuff. Yeah, room escape stuff. That's what Mist, you know, that reminded me of this, like a big room escape. Ooh. Have you played 9 Hours 9 Persons 9 Doors? I'm maybe 40% through it. Okay. I do like it a lot. It's it's good writing. It's yeah. kind of amazing. Like I'm like, wow, this is this is kind of a good story. I just I was just curious since you mentioned the the the, the room escapes. There's definitely some some DNA there. There's there's lines through everything, and and Miss was definitely writing the book. Pardon my lame joke. It was it was trapped in the book. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know because of that uh, that non-intuitiveness, you know I feel like this led a lot of people to kind of powering through Mist, which is a terrible way to play it. Oh, it's the worst. You know, the same way you can walk up to a safe and try every combination. Like, you can do that for most of the puzzles in Mist, mm-hmm. And uh, that's a dumb idea. And you, if you're doing that, you will not have fun. I maybe did that for a couple of them. Right. You know, maybe I wasn't able to find that uh, that shack that led to Channelwood. So I might have, you know, the initial puzzle where you just, you go on a tour through the island, mm-hmm. um, collecting the different markers. And they are just little switches, and they're at the prominent locations. And uh, the first puzzle in the game is to to flip all of those, and it kind of gives you a tour. And uh, I feel like I missed one of those. So when I got to the area where you have to input the total number of those, I just you know tried eight and it was wrong, and then just tried nine and it was right. There's a difference between attrition, which would just be you know one, two, up through nine, nine, nine for the for the safe, uh, and you know being methodical about it, which is like oh I must be off by one or two, I missed them, boom boom. Right. I, I don't even see that as pure trial and error, you know, guess, guessing gameplay, which is really just willfully making the game as not fun for yourself as possible because that, that sense of joy and satisfaction comes from like, Oh, I noticed this. How smart am I? Right. (laughs) This game is very, very uh, sparing with uh, the little dopamine squirts, but when it does give it to you, it, uh, it definitely feels uh, rewarding in a, in a way that, you know, people say like fighting games or, you know, shoot 'em ups are rewarding, but I'm i I'm a slow guy. So I can't, mm. I can't really uh, take advantage of that, but I am observant. So that this game is kind of like tailor made for me. I, I'm, I'm pretty similar in that regard. And the other thing that I like about this game um, is that I tend to, to kind of like games that are you know a little bit lower on uh, like competition. Yeah. You know, and this is this is definitely that. Like the conflict is is indirect. You know, when I was 
by a young boy. Like I liked adventure games. I loved, you know, Maniac Mansion for Nintendo. I played the hell out of that. And there's kind of a sense of danger in that game that isn't here, mm-hmm. but it's still the kind of thing where you're not going to, you're probably not going to die. I, mean, I guess you do die in Maniac Mansion. So maybe this isn't such a good comparison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. You only get blown up in a nuclear explosion, but continue. Yeah, ex- exactly. You know, I, I liked, I liked slow role-playing games. I liked, uh, you know, even like JRPGs I liked because you could take your time to make your decision. Mm-hmm. You know, and and this game is definitely that. Are there no are there no are there any time limits in this game? No, um, the only one I can think of is the entrance to the Channelwood Age. But in general, it is just a very uh, take it as you go kind of situation. Right. It's just you you go at your your own pace and you go in your own direction too. It's it's nonlinear, which is something that uh, adventure games are not generally. <laughs> um, adventure games are really you can kind of write them out as code. You know, do this, do this, do this, do this, and and win the game. Where you're you're able to visit the ages in any order in this game, um, which is really neat. There's a sense of agency there because you know, yeah, if you play through it, you realize, oh, they were just feeding me information. You know, do you have two pages? Okay, this is what I tell you. Do you have three pages? This is what I tell you. But you definitely had a sense of I am somewhat in control of this. Right. I think that was aided by the first person perspective, which I'm not sure. I mean, I I wouldn't venture a guess to say that it is the first game to have done it, but it, it makes such a difference being able to kind of internalize what you're doing and say, I am doing this as opposed to, you know, ordering Guybrush, Guybrush Threepwood around and say, do that. You, you play yourself. You have no agency over your abilities or anything. You, you have a very limited you know, action set. There are a lot of times I would come to a puzzle where it's like, okay, well, I feel like there's a couple of different ways to start a fire, but I have to open the safe and find matches, you know, to, to do it. And because of that, you know, since you're yourself, you kind of have to create your own motivation for the game as well. You know, it's kind of what you're saying, where it's just kind of this like role-playing thing. Um, and that's really rare in games. Like, there, there are toys that are similar to that. Like, there are things like Minecraft, obviously, where, like, you kind of have to create the game yourself. But this actually has goals. It just, you know, you have to do them yourself. Agency is a really good word for it. Curiosity, too. I mean, because if you're not curious and you expect to be fed the breadcrumb trail, uh, you're going to uh, be overwhelmed by it. I'm not going to say you're going to find it boring, but, uh, you know, for a large segment of the population, or at least somebody who's not accustomed to this uh, series or this genre, sitting down to it, there's an, there's an abundance of choice, and that can lead to a, a sort of paralysis by analysis, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many... I'd like to get a figure of how many people actually got off of the Island of Mist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I, mean, I feel like they're probably... A lot. When I messed around with it when I was younger, I did not get off of Mist. Yeah. Um. I got the the secret fourth ending to Mist, which is uninstall Mist. <laughs> uh, you know. So and then uh, you know, probably play Commander Keen or something. Well, well, speaking of getting off of Mist, I mean, do we do we want to take a brief kind of tour around the different ages and give our impressions of those? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good idea. So, I mean, in, in no particular order. I mean, if if we're going to say like favorites, I really really liked the Selenitic Age. That that's also also my favorite, um, which will lead this to being a uh, uh, silly. So, the Selenitic Age is kind of the uh, the puzzles are sound based, which is really unusual. It kind of reminded me of Loom. Yeah. Like, it's really rare that a game, you know, I mean, I guess you don't actually need to know about notes, but there's a part in the Selenic Age where I really thought you did. So you you kind of take a tour of the Selenic Age, uh, setting up markers the same way you do kind of mirroring the first Mist Island. And each one is is next to an object that would create a noise. And there's a satellite dish that projects that noise. You have to kind of infer that yourself. 
But um, when you're on the way towards the tower, there's a little five-note tone that plays. And when you first get on the island, there's a lock that has five different settings. And I thought for the life of me that I had to memorize that tone or that little song and then walk back to the, the first part and then come up with sound effects that were the same note. <laughs> right, right, totally. Like, and it, But except it, the first one is a note and then the second one's kind of a breathy whistle. But then after that, it's like the sound of a fire. And I thought I had to know that like the sound of the fire was actually in that specific note. This is an F sharp. Yeah, exactly. I spent a lot of time trying to do that. Well, playing it on the on the uh, on the iPod, dear God, I hope you're using headphones. Oh yeah, and I, I made that. You know, I, I figured that out at a, at a certain point. <laughs> I didn't start out um, doing it, but then I realized that I that I needed to. Yeah. Um, that that uh, age also had uh, something that I did that when I, if I didn't have my notepad handy, I would make up little songs for myself to remember patterns as I was walking across the island in exactly the same way I would if I was actually there. <laughs> so so once I figured out the pattern, you know, so you set up your, your the different uh, kind of projectors and then go to, a, you know, a master control tower kind of thing and uh, get a code for that first door. So I was walking back from that. I had the code and I was just wind, fire, bell, wind, clock, wind, fire, <laughs> bell, wind, clock, wind, fire, bell. And just would come up with these like dumb little songs to remember the patterns. I did that multiple times. And then I you know realized like. If I was really there, I wouldn't have paper. I'd have to, you know, have some way to memorize this. That was a real neat moment. And then when you realized, oh, it wasn't, it wasn't the tones. It was actually the the degrees on the uh, satellite rotation that you had to, right. that, that determined the order that you had to input them. But it's funny how you how you role played it without using notes on that. Yeah, like I didn't even you know need to. And by that point, I was pretty knee deep in mist. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I was doing the kind of thing that's a criticism of adventure games where you're not really playing. You're kind of just guessing what the developers would have thought. So I was kind of doing that a little bit, but it was still like it was a fun way to fail. Well, the the, the, the Selenitic Age, for, for all of its kind of uh, innovation, for as much as I hate the word, um, it seems apt in using uh, the, the, the sounds um, for the environment in an age where most PCs had little internal speakers that mm-hmm. were no bigger than phone uh, speakers at the time ends with the most infuriating single puzzle <laughs> aside from later puzzles in Riven I think in the entire series but that's encouraging that that makes me if this is as bad as it gets and I got through this it's the underground tunnel maze you know I, I imagine a lot of people gave up at this point even if they got off the island I'm not a claustrophobic man but I would definitely say I have a stripe of agoraphobia in me like if I go to a party and somebody parks me in I get a little bit of a panic attack Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the thought of being trapped in this tunnel, you know, basically not being able to backtrack or anything and no clue except for like, what does a bird shirt mean? What direction do I right. go? I mean, when I was young, that freaked me out. Right. <laughs> and it's funny how the kind of the limitations drove that design because the, I thought that the submarine was very claustrophobic too. And part of the reason why is that the view screen is just, just this postage stamp size little video screen. You know, you couldn't be closer to the front of the sub. They couldn't have had a larger window on the sub because they had to play this tiny little animation in it. So it just kind of drove this, uh, you know, using the design to make it a little bit, you know, more creepy. What I think is frustrating about that, though, and I think this is a design flaw in the game, not a, hopefully not a problem with me. But, you know, you're talking about which direction a bird call means. Um, There is a hint in another age that tells you this. At every intersection of this maze, you hear a tone and they correspond to... Uh, the four cardinal directions, and sometimes you hear a kind of a mix of the tone, and that's like you no know, northeast or southeast. And uh, there's another age that that gives you this information. The mechanical age. 
But one, there's no indication that you should do the mechanical age first. So you actually have this key. And two, there's really no plot. I mean, is there a plot reason why the people who built this sub in the Selenitic age were using this kind of uh, you know key from another, totally another world? Well, it was Atrus. It was Atrus who built the underground tunnels because of the instability of uh, of the age he wanted to put oh, yeah. he, he wanted to put the linking book back to mist in as safe of a place as possible so he right. you know built this underground kind of place i have no idea why he made it sound coded um you know kind mm. of gets into well it wouldn't be a fun game if it was just go north here dummy right <laughs> you know right well i just it wasn't that i wouldn't want it to be go north here dummy but having the key there you know in the same age yeah or um you know, some some kind of some kind of direction that says that you should do the mechanical age first, because if it's the most frustrating puzzle in the game, if you have you know trying to do it without having the the directions, is pretty obnoxious. So the mechanical age is a, is another one um, that we talked about, and this one kind of had the uh, I remember out of when we're, you're reading about the lore in it, I remember this one being you know kind of expecting the most uh, I was expecting action because in this one Atrus goes and he prepares a civilization for attack. He kind of builds a fortress. And of course, when you get there, it's abandoned and you just kind of see the after effects. Kind of unremarkable, this one. I I, I didn't much care for it. I mean, the central puzzle of the tower rotation and kind of figuring that out. The, the, The toy tower rotation thing that kind of gave you an indication of how it works. It was nice, but it also felt kind of on the nose. And this one also has one of my most uh, kind of frustrating puzzles in this game. Um, You know, the... The game kind of is interesting in that it relies on both like interior and exterior logic. Like there's a lot of things you just kind of have to know to play it. Like you have to know a little bit about angles and know a little bit about sound and and know a little bit about math and everything. And uh, but sometimes it uses interior logic, and that's where it just gets really strange. Like this, is my my least favorite puzzle in the game is uh, you have to rotate this tower again, kind of mirroring the first island, and uh, the controls to rotate the tower on top of an elevator. So you have to trick the elevator into going down with you not being in it, which is fine. But it just it felt so weird that they would put that on top of an elevator. Like, it felt very gamey to me. Gary, think about it. They're building a fortress to thwart invaders. Do you want your enemies to be able to just get in there and access those controls and rotate it at will? That's crazy. Yeah, because if they, if they could rotate it, they could access a page or they could access a book. <laughs> then they get back into miss and they cause all kind of mayhem. That's true. That is true. I You know... No, that's not true. <laughs> not proven. But I tricked um, you, right? I tricked you. Yeah, yeah. You you almost tricked me into into agreeing with you there. But yeah, that's just you know that felt you know I think that you know we had talked about this in our notes, and you had kind of mentioned um, the Resident Evil puzzle philosophy that there are there are maniacs uh, you know coming up with chess coded keys and <laughs> and uh, you know just turning their entire cities into these like ridiculous puzzle boxes. Which again, you know, maybe they, they you know, that's kind of there's a little bit of missed lineage there. There is, um, you know, so the, you know they're madmen who do that, and this you know this is a we remember remind me of your uh, or just say your uh, don't remind me but butt in with your your explanation why that is. The idea in Mist is that because the Denis were such powerful uh, people and because they had this power of the art, um, they would train their children by making these uh, school ages. That's something that comes up in Mist uh, 3, actually, which is just kind of like, okay, we're going to teach you, you know, kind of how to build these and about the internal logic of this. And just in general, they were uh, kind of uh, crafty, tricky people. Mm-hmm. So that's where this kind of comes through that and then just kind of the general paranoia. Uh, that comes from everybody being able to make their own world. So that's the kind of internal lore. 
explore logic kind of similar to well in resident evil the the spencers who designed the mansion they were just they were just nuts and then right. they also designed the police station and then you know chief irons and in resident evil 2 he was crazy so he put all these crazy keys in and all that but all of it comes down to yes it is a completely arbitrary gameplay reason which is it wouldn't be very fun if the key was underneath the the, the, the stone next to it right right but i mean if i were a dunny like that might be fun the first time. <laughs> what it reminded me of, you know, with that, and also there's a lot of backtracking in the game and a lot of things placed far apart. You know, there's a lot of the game where it's try a switch here and then you hear something happen on the other side of the island. And it reminded me of the way that, like, people in offices will talk about, uh, you know, the quick and easy way to lose weight is to pretend the elevator is broken and take <laughs> the stairs every time. And I just kind of thought of this whole race of, like, kind of overweight secretaries who are like tricking themselves into walking more and exercising more by creating these puzzles. Well, if you're late to work, you should just set your alarm clock a couple of minutes ahead. That way you <laughs> trick yourself into waking up. Yeah. Right. No. This, yeah, this is just this kind of like obnoxious, condescending, like there is this weird kind of condescending level to mist. that I never really thought of before about that. And with like Atris uh-huh. and his personality, the, the mist, mist does kind of talk down to you a little bit. It's you... really, really hard to have sympathy for Atris, even in, even in the later games. You don't really get to have a lot of sympathy for him until you read either the novels or my fan fiction. Right. right exactly. <laughs> Carrying scene at fanfiction.gov. Yeah. Talk us talk to us about the Stone Ship Age. I think it was the first one I did and my memory's a little bit fuzzy on it. The Stone Ship Age is actually one of the easiest to get to, um, in my opinion. Um, just because it's the, the the area where you unlock it is such is so central, which is that kind of uh glade of pillars around the uh, fountain of uh, mm-hmm. with with the sunken ship in it. So that was pretty neat. I liked the Stone Ship Age a lot, even though I have an abiding and everlasting hatred of water level puzzles, which was instilled in me at a very young age by both Link's Awakening and oh gosh, Ocarina of Time. Any any Zelda game with a with a water <laughs> fortress, <laughs> yeah, which Zelda, yeah, Zelda games can yeah. can go. Uh, prepare itself an entree of dicks but yeah. you know i liked i like the stone ship age a lot because um it was relatively straightforward once you figured it out and it had one of the most uh kind of elegant puzzles i think that required external logic which is the buoyancy puzzle with mm-hmm. the with the chest where you mess around with the water levels and then you go down and say oh there's a chest here and then you realize oh it's full of water that's why it's not floating so you empty it and reseal it then it floats up and then boom there you go you know there's i'm sure that you know, especially if you look at the internet, like a snapshot of it around like when it first began, I went to the internet was something like 30% missed walkthroughs <laughs> um, at the time. It was like 70% porn and 30% missed walkthroughs. Assy porn and missed walkthroughs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like this age a lot. I like that puzzle. Um, when you actually get down into the, the middle, you know, where you're going to find your, your pages in that puzzle, um, there's an annoying thing where you have to have this, uh, you have to know this, this angle. You look through a, a telescope. You have to find the right angle. And when you input it, um, there's a part earlier where you have to crank a, a battery to power the lights underground. Mm-hmm. And if you get the wrong one, the penalty is the lights go off. Ugh. So at first I was really kind of spooked. I was like, oh, you know, maybe something's going to happen. But it just mm-hmm. means you have to walk back and recrank the lights, right? Um, which is obnoxious. But this, this age is as awesome. Like it's super spooky music. When you go to the brothers' rooms in this one, they're both real creepy. Is that the one with the severed head? Uh, it's, it's definitely the one with the weird like rib cage lamp. Oh, God. And it was super, super creepy. Like I remember – and because this is the first one I did, I was like, okay, these guys are evil. Like no, <laughs> no, nobody builds furniture out of bones. Um, you don't build anything out of bones. If you're if you're keeping bones around, you're not being trusted. <laughs> you must discard bones in the uh, in in approved containers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you call call uh, you know, 
Call your city councilman. Call somebody and figure out what to do with all these bones. Yeah, call the bone man. Yeah, exactly. Call bone man. I think he's in uh, Mega Man 5. But, you know, once you're starting building things out of human body parts, like, yeah. no good. Which I, I understand that this was, you know, a couple of centuries before Columbine. But don't you think that Atreus would have, like, been pretty, pretty, pretty his, his interest would have been piqued by seeing that? Or was he just so hands off? that he didn't realize <laughs> he didn't realize oh oh boy Akinar he's making things out of bones and he's and he's and he's listening to Marilyn Manson you know I imagine I'm kind of like a uh I don't know if you watch the Venture Brothers oh yeah he's uh, he's Rusty Venture yeah exactly or uh he's Rusty Venture or Dr. Venture oh yeah definitely you know, in either case you know just kind of one of the uh the absentee fathers exactly of, of the Venture universe you know just dusting his hands no wonder they were ruined absolutely oh, well but yeah just eerie and creepy and it's a relatively short age i remember being frustrated by needing to turn on the light with the angles because it didn't make sense to me like well why aren't the linking lights turned on when i crank the generator but right right it's it's neat um, i like it it was also a little bit hard to find the pa- the chamber where the pages were yeah uh for me just because it involves looking at the map of it back in the library mm-hmm. and at the time i looked at it i didn't draw a little map i was before i was in total note mode so yeah I figured it out eventually. So the, the final one that I did was that channel wood age because that fucking tree that I couldn't find that I mentioned. Monkey land. Yep, absolutely. This is where the, those lovable little monkeys from the, the backstory were. And uh, when you get there, all their houses are trashed and there's nobody around. So, you know, guess who we can thank for that? The Empire? They, they raided the, the, the Ewok village? <laughs> right, yeah. Exactly. Yep, yep it's, it's, it's actually a crossover. This is whole backdoor LucasArts. Hey, you know when you build when you build in the uh, the the ability to cross between universes, you're going to get slash fiction. Don't worry. You know, I, I didn't actually. You know, I and I don't know if that's a can of worms we want to open, but I've thought about trying to find you know dark fandom for some of these games. Yeah, like because uh, there's there's got to be some some serious on Akinar like something. I, <laughs> a very literate fan base, a very literate lonely fan base. <laughs> yeah, if you're playing Mist and and you any any amount of you know there's a sexual thought at all like <laughs> what what is wrong with you i don't know that <laughs> rib that that rib cage i mean akinar eats pretty kinky stuff you know he does say the word catherine but channel wood it was kind of one of the easier ages i thought um the hardest part about it was finding your way around yeah I, I ended up having i drew myself a little map yeah for this guy um but yeah all the puzzles make a lot of sense in this one um, there's a kind of like you power the, the different devices by water and it's pretty easy. They're just kind of, you know, you channel them on wood. Um, it's also <laughs> you know, yeah, the most literal of, of, uh, age names. Puzzle world. That's the whole game. You're just playing puzzle world. <laughs> puzzle Island. That's the, uh, that's the, that's the ripoff that come that like they made in a controlled economy. Right. Exactly. Or the, uh, the, we wear a shovel version. Yeah. It's just like puzzle Island. <laughs> um, this game also had real creepy, uh, brothers rooms. And uh, I remember specifically reading about the brothers there when they were young. You know, I definitely got into this. I, you know, if you, the, the longer we, we talk about this, the more it feels like I just invented it in my head this idea of them uh, slowly taking advantage of these monkey people. That really struck a nerve with me. I, I don't was, know why. It was subtext. I, I think a lot when a game leaves as much the imagination as this game does, you can't be blamed for kind of filling in the blanks. And I think that the majority of the fiction, you know, that might be as much canon as what they actually wrote. Right. And especially at this point where there really wasn't much of a canon to speak of. Right. You know, yeah. or at least not much of a canon that anybody aside from the Rand brothers cared about. Right. But when you walk into Akinar's room and you see a hologram of him talking in the monkey language, uh, that 
kind of gave me the jeebies because you haven't seen a single person the whole time. Right. Totally. Totally. Um, and again, I think that's probably uh, similar to that subclaustrophobia where they're using the limitations to drive the design. You know, they couldn't really make a game that looked this good that had actual, you know, a lot of people in it. So, you know, they went with FMV, which looks kind of grainy and, and shitty and is in a small window, but they used that and made it, you know, portals where you see people talking, they're they're trapped. It played into the tone very, very well. Channelwood, again, it's another age that you have to use sound to solve the puzzle because if you're wanting to check where the water is being directed to, mm-hmm. all you have to do is listen. And if you hear that telltale little piss trickle, then mm-hmm. you're you're on the right track. I, I enjoyed this one. I enjoyed that age quite a bit. Um, I still think I'm with you as far as the uh, selenitic age, though. Um, but this is the last one I did, so I was, I was rounding out the game. And again, uh, spoilers on how to uh, to beat the game forthcoming. <laughs> yeah, for for this uh, you know seventeen to twenty five year old game, whatever we figured out. So you go to these different ages and you're getting you're getting pages for the books. The the brothers in the red and blue prison books. And uh, when you first find a red page and you stick it on the book, you get a little video of the brother and he's trying to trick you. So you're trying to get all the pages for one of the brothers. Did you get both? Uh, I think I got I didn't get all of them for for Akinar. I think I got three for Akinar and four for Sirius. I didn't want to go back through the underground maze again because you can only carry one page with you at a time. Right. For no good reason at all. <laughs> not even a design reason, not a story reason. There's no reason for that. But in this final act, you know, you kind of realize that the entire game has been a trial for the two brothers. Right, where they can kind of make their case. But then they do the absolute wrong thing, which is tell you, A, how to get behind the fireplace, and B, don't touch the red button. So, of course, you're, you're going to do it. And I would have done that even if, uh, you know, I didn't think they were shit heels at this point. Right. You know, if a game tells you not to do something, you're, you're going to try it at least once. Well, screw you. I can save. <laughs> right. Exactly. You may have the power to write books that create worlds, but I can redo anything in my life uh, <laughs> a couple seconds after I fail. So go to hell, crazy brothers. So, you know, you give them and they, they tell you kind of how to complete the game and tell you not to look in this green book. Um, and they, they kind of make, you know, as much as I knew they were evil, they make kind of a convincing case. You know, they're trapped in a book and they're like, hey, if you open this book, you're going to get trapped just like us. But, of course, uh, next to the green book is the final page, either the final red or blue page. And uh, then we get into the end game. Which is banking on you having found two halves of one note, which tell you how to get the last page for the green book. And uh, did you go into the green book and talk to Atris without having the uh, the white page? Um, yeah, well, I, I opened the book and you just okay. get the message. Right. Um, and, I, and I tried, and, you know, he tells you to go get the white page and come back. And I tried it. I saved and, and went into the age without the white book page. Which is which is pretty hilarious. Like you get trapped, and and old old Uncle Atris, the fucking condescending douchebag, like he's like he's like a girlfriend's dad of like video games. Just like what? Well, great. I hope you like me, and I don't bore you. Like he's just this like angry old fuddy. And of course, because you're trapped there forever. Yeah, make until yourself at else home. Comes. Yeah, make yourself at home until someone else comes and plays Mist and right. rescues you all. Yeah, no, I, I always do that whenever I play it, even though I know it's the, the sucker's bat, and he tells you specifically to go find the white page. I always do it because that acting and that, that cutscene, they're just, uh, it's so gratifying. That, and, and there's a subtle horror to being trapped in this place forever, you know? 
right with this gigantic douchebag like <laughs> just like you know who won't even talk to you like it's even you guys can't even like create your own games and go insane and eventually have sex and do all the things you really do if you were trapped forever with atreus i mean, not to be you know of course you would like if you were literally trapped for eternity with atreus like you'd bang atreus it, it would happen a couple hundred years yeah you know you'd bang atreus but uh, he's too busy writing for that to happen. Which is, like, irritating because the sequel tells you, hey, you have the ribbon linking book right there. Let's go on more adventures. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Like, well, fuck those guys. Fuck Mist. It's a, it's a horror yeah. show. I can tell you. Like, the, the, <laughs> I just came from there. You don't want to be there. <laughs> don't, don't give me access to all your islands, you jerk. Like, let's let's move forward. Yeah, If, if I got trapped with Atris, it would be... I would give myself, like, just, a you know, maybe, like, a couple years before it was just, like, me jerking off in the corner whenever I could and just him glowering at me and just like, <laughs> I can't believe you got us in this situation. <sighs> it'd be like the, uh, it'd be like the episode of the Simpsons with Homer and Mr. Burns trapped on the mountain. Yeah, exactly. Eventually we get the, the madness and fight snowman. And speaking of bad endings, did you, did you take the suckers bet on the, uh, on the red and blue book too? Don't you mean the speaking of happy endings? Oh, uh, right. <laughs> um, the, uh, yes. Uh, I, I definitely tried both of those. Okay. Um, uh, which are they are hilarious. The uh, so the you know the brothers you kind of swap places. So if you give the brothers the final pages, you uh, you get trapped in the book. They're free to do uh, evil evil brother things. I just love both the reactions. First, Akinar, he's very obviously pleasuring himself while he rips the pages out of your book. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's just like he's just so 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 gone and hilariously acted. Like it's kind of bad acting, but he commits to it so fully that I think it's really funny. Yeah. Like I really like it. And then in serious, oh God, condescending, you know, douche, you know, fop the entire time. Takes after his dad. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he totally does. Like, I imagine. Do you ever meet Catherine? Is she just like this obese, bearded woman who just cackles all the time? <laughs> no, no, that's, that's where Akinar got it from. Uh, you you spend a lot of time with Catherine and Riven, and she is not. Uh, she is not uh, at all like that. Actually, she's not so. a serial masturbating. No. obese So <laughs> no, no. Okay. But uh, but uh, but serious, dear God, his puns. I hope you're into books. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like he does a real good, like majestic. <laughs> like he, he is such a, a villain. Like he's such a, like a, you know, just from the start. Do 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 another serious impression. Bring me red pages. <laughs> I need more red pages. <laughs> Akinar, I don't know if I can do an Akinar, but I, 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 I just like, like he kind of does this like constantly giggling he's definitely having a better time about being trapped in a book if you could be trapped with any of the three of them you know he might be the most well yeah I don't. <laughs> he, he would be the one who would masturbate on your corpse but yeah, you know, yeah, I know. It, eventually it'd become this kind of terrible like jerking off competition and then <laughs> eventually he'd ultimately win by bashing your head in with a rock and like but yeah that's that's the end of mist uh, <laughs> that's uh that's what happens missed yep that's, there's less that's... masturbating in the real game yeah it's it's, uh, it's implied it's all over the place So what, uh, obviously you didn't pick up on any of the obvious uh, sexual subtext when you when you first played it. Well, when I first played it, um, I was roughly 10, 11, something like that. I played it on the Sega Saturn, um, which kind of goes into this whole side story. This game, uh, it takes the Tetris slash Peggle distribution model. They made ports of this <laughs> for literally anything that had a screen, including my microwave oven. 
mm-hmm. um, and my toaster oven. So if I'm waiting for a uh, delicious uh, panini treat, I get to uh, walk around <laughs> in the island of mist. But no, this is back on the uh, on the Sega Saturn, which was kind of a regrettable way to play it because you know th- th- there was this whole ill-advised era of porting point point and click adventure games to, uh, to to consoles, and it's not really the best way to play with the D pad. Yeah, it kind of happened right at the end of it too. Like everyone was just like, "Holy shit, these these point and click adventure games are huge," and it was right on the decline. So they they all got ported, you know, right around like 1995, which is a bad time to, you know, be a point and click adventure game. But you know, I played this on the Sega Saturn. It was after my cousin lent it to me, and unfortunately, I'm I'm sorry, Jordan. I still have it. If you're listening to this, if you want it back, you can have it. I've got the strategy guide too. Um, if you want it back? Email watch out for fireballs at <laughs> TV. Exactly for your copy of Mist <laughs> for you, your. Actually, yeah, you're specific. You're yeah. specifically, yeah. yeah. Um, has your notes in the manual? Uh, no, but he he was kind of like you know showing it to me, saying, "Hey, look at this. This is this is pretty neat." Um, and then he showed me how to beat it, and I was kind of like, "Oh, well, that's kind of you know kind of a bummer because now I, <laughs> now I know how to beat it without actually seeing everything." But then I, you know, decided to poke around, and you know, like we talked about before with the agency and curiosity and all of that. Um, <laughs> I just I really liked it when I was little because you know all the reasons that we mentioned before. But uh, I guess I had a feeling it time that you know this game is big and lonely just like i'll eventually be so yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly this is kind of a game for lonely boys um, and lonely women can i read something another quote from jerry holkins about mist yeah absolutely yeah. uh the notion that there might be some mystical form of writing or that books may be written in such a way as to render their con- their contents a portal to places described well, if you've ever had more books than friends, you know that statement verges on a kind of truth, which, you know, I may not have appreciated that when I was, you know, a, a 10 or 11. Uh, but, you know, when I played through them kind of more seriously uh, later on, and even today, that has a certain amount of resonance for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's, you know, that's definitely true of the kind of kind of little boy I am. Something I thought of, too, um, another kind of metaphor in the game that I that just reminded me of. Um, there's a part where you're reading the books and Atrus is talking about, you know, having to travel and he doesn't bring his wife with him. And there's a part where he kind of feels like he's neglecting her um, because of his writing. And that maybe, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer and that made me, you know, think about my own wife and just kind of this whole idea that you know, I spend all this time getting trapped in these worlds, either like video games or books or ones I'm creating or ones I'm just experiencing and kind of neglecting my personal experience, my personal relationships. And, uh, you know, he, he neglects his wife in that, and obviously there's something wrong with how he rears sons, you know, like, <laughs> no. he's not, not father of the year or anything. So that was kind of, I don't know if that was an intentional metaphor, but, um, you know, there, there's probably, you could probably write an essay on what Miss has to say about the act of creation, you know, and being a creative person. Have, uh, have you ever read House of Leaves? I have not. You have not. It is a fantastic horror book. It's a little bit pretentious. Very postmodern, but it does make direct reference to Mist, and there are def- there there are a lot of uh, uh, correlations between the two um, to well, a certain that's degree. Yeah, check it out. So, so how, how about you? I mean, can you tell me about your initial impressions uh, and uh, experiences with the game? Yeah, I um, mentioned my my uncle earlier, my uncle George, and he's kind of responsible for getting him and my and my cousin, his son, are kind of responsible for getting me into slow games. Um, you know, growing up, I you know I. My, my first Nintendo games were Mario uh, and Mega Man 2, you know, and that kind of set the tone for a long time. And I would go and spend this time at my cousin's house, and they had a top-line PC. They had a lot of money. And, uh, you know, my cousin was really into JRPGs, and I, he had a Genesis, and I'd watch him play Fantasy Star and stuff and got into that. And I would watch my uncle play uh, 
adventure games on on the computer. And you play Myst, and there's a game called Gateway. That's like a text adventure game that's really neat. Um, available on Home of the Underdogs, I think, and like Legend of Kyrandia, and uh, you know a bunch of these games that I'd, I'd watch him play. And I remember Mist being like, even at the time, seemed different. It wasn't a cartoon. You know, all the rest of these games had these kind of pixelated characters or drawings of people. And Mist is it's real people. It's a real. It's felt made the setting feel really real, and it was really fascinating. And I asked him if I could play it, and I remember like the withering condescending and now they, <laughs> my uncle george looks like a younger atris <laughs> like he's got like, just like he's kind of a rotund man with a big beard and glasses like he's just going to turn into atris if he doesn't look like atris now but he kind of looks at me and just like <laughs> you know you think you can play this boy like he didn't he didn't do that but i just <laughs> villainizing him bring him the red pages <laughs> bring me red pages and you may play my copy of mist <laughs> um but he just he kind of just laughed but let me try it and of course i I got the secret fourth ending of, of quitting mists because I didn't know what the shit to do. I was really young. Um, and I'd always kind of meant to go back to it and never did. And uh, that's why it was really nice that this was suggested because it was a good, ex- you know, good excuse to fill that hole in my kind of gamer knowledge. This is a, you know, an important game and kind of a way that like maybe Mega Man isn't like, I love Mega Man X, but it's not the first to do what it did. And I feel like this is more kind of influential and more of like a, a touchstone foundational. Yep. Can, can, can you say again who, who who recommended this so we can give this some props on the uh, on the? Yeah, uh, my friend Tom Kober. Okay. Recommended this on Facebook. Um, so thanks, Tom, and yeah. thanks for the recommendation. So one of the things that's interesting, I just a real brief note totally like a footnote about this is the game's influence. You know, I talk about this being important. It was so big that it not only had all these clones, but also had these weird parody games. Um, there's one called milk, which I just watched a YouTube video of that's just milk with a Y and it's like draw, drawn in like MS paint, but it's a, it's a parody of mist called milk. Um, the biggest one was this game called pissed, uh, starring, uh, you know, John Goodman of John Goodman fame. The, the level of, of parody of this game is like, the name of the company is Parrot E, like uh, the bird with a Y. It just something just has to sound like something. It doesn't have to make sense. They're not puns. It's they they somehow turn parrot into an adjective. Go with it. Like we we've workshopped this idea enough. Um, so of course uh, John Goodman is King Mattress, and uh, you know the game is is kind of stupid. It's real scatological, and there's no puzzle to it. You just kind of go through the area, but it's a it's a one to one parody because the concept of it is kind of this is the land of mist after those six million people have been through it. So it's really kind of weird meta. Like if you actually have so many people visiting this supposedly very like solo haunting solitary island, it's going to turn into, you know, the parking lot behind a fucking great America at some point, you know, there's gonna be condoms floating in the scrying pool and like panties hanging on the, the bookshelf and you know, all that stuff. So that's kind of a weird, interesting kind of meta idea wrapped around, you know, what's undoubtedly, you know, I watched, I tried to watch a let's play of it, which requires so little effort. You know, you're, you're just sitting there watching someone play it. It was 50 minutes for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I got through one episode of it and was just like, okay, I know everything I need to know about pissed. Had like postcards uh, of like people writing from it. It's like, this place fucking sucks. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the, even the, the jokes in the postcards, it's like, there's a character named Iggy popcorn. So I know that there's an Iggy pop and I know that there's popcorn. So if you put zero and zero together, you get zero still. Like it's not, there's no pun. There's no joke. It's just Iggy Popcorn. Mm-hmm. But a huge cultural influence. Where I think that it's pretty safe to say we're both 
both fans of this game. Yeah, I mean, if, if the previous uh, roughly an hour of gushing wasn't an indication, um, it's okay. Yeah, fuck this game. Thumbs down. We're going to give it a negative hair raiser. And actually, this game, like, you know, I found myself frustrated by kind of some of these, like, design things. But I have found it really kind of haunting in, in the times that I played it. I beat it um, last weekend. And I do think about it. It's kind of weird. Like, I kind of want to keep playing the series. I just don't want... And you, you've told me that they get better. You've played the entire thing. So they get more, kind of more logical. They definitely um, learned a lot of lessons from the first one. I don't want to say that they're less frustrating. Um, in a way, Riven is kind of like, okay, the people that we weeded out from the original mess, the people who said, okay, this game's kind of bullshit and it's not for me, you're gone. So we don't have to throw you any bones, but it's rewarding so long as you're not as long as you're not afraid of going to a fac every once in a while. That's probably something we should we should talk about just a little bit in relation to this game, because um, I definitely did that. I'd say for every five puzzles, I did some kind of help with one of them. Um, there's a real nice like non-spoiler cheat guide that comes with the iOS one, so you get levels of hints. Yeah, I think that's really the way to play it. You know, if you're not a masochist and you're not just a huge fan of the genre, if you just want to get the story and the feeling and the kind of tone, play through it, but allow yourself a lot of leeway if you want, if something, you know, is really frustrating you. My recommendation would be give it a good faith try. I mean, I know that every fact you read for an adventure game says, don't read this, it'll ruin your experience. But, you know, give, give it a good faith try. And when you truly feel like you're stuck and if you feel yourself you know, kind of wanting to quit over a puzzle, then, then go to it. I think that's that applies here, and it applies for any any game in general. Uh, yeah, I, I 100% agree. Like, it's, it's you know, it, there's there's nothing wrong with seeking a little bit of help, especially something so obtuse, and it didn't ruin my experience. I still came out of it feeling, I still had feelings of satisfaction, still kind of want to play the rest of the series as much as I'm a little bit hesitant to do so. I'd recommend it. Yeah, I'll put it on my on kind of my bucket list, my game bucket list. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to rush out right away to do it. Right. But uh, I'm curious. Take a break and let it, you know, let it stew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, monkey stew. Yeah, monkey, monkey stew from Monkey Island. That's probably what they did. They probably just discovered that the inhabitants of these other ages are delicious. <laughs> and, and that was it. That's the, taking a dark turn. You're, you're, you're accusing these, these two people who are obviously awful, awful human beings or Denis or whatever they are um, of being cannibals. Well, I'm pitching Miss Six. Ah, damn. And it's, it's, yeah, it's a cannibal <laughs> island. Now it's time to hear what you think about Mist. Uh, listener participation is a very important part of this program, as I'm sure you know if you listened to the previous episode and any other episodes of this program that may be produced afterwards if you're coming back and listening to us from the past. Or from the future. Oh, right. Us. Yeah, to the past. A window to the past. That's what we are, right? It's a retro game show. Absolutely. Good good segue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you picked that up quick. So um, if if you want to get a hold of us and, you know, give us your thoughts about Mist, it's probably a little bit too late now, but we still want to hear from you or about it, the next game, which we're going to mention at the end of the show here. You can send an email to watch out for fireballs at duckfeed.tv find our facebook page or call 419-834-WOFF that stands for watch out for fireballs obviously and you'll hear that information again at the end of the program so let's hear a response from sasha here this is one that she emailed into us had to edit it down just a little bit but uh retained the essence of it i guess this was one of the first games i played My dad started me on the manhole to learn how to use a mouse, then presented Miss to me as the manhole with a point. That's in quotes. 
Since I was way too young, I wasn't really capable of solving the puzzles, but I certainly enjoyed the wonder of wandering around and exploring the Mist Island. Many years later, I got it back out and actually played all the way through. I was absolutely mystified, ha, ha's in parentheses, at the elegance and complexity of the puzzles. Mist is a game that has truly stood the test of time. The puzzles are just as beautiful, intricate, and yet deceptively simple as they ever were. If there were more games like Mist, puzzles, no dying, no time limits, and beautiful exploration, I would probably play a lot more games. That's a, that's an excellent point. I mean, there's a lot of things that we we also agree with uh, that we touched on during the the preceding. I think that um, when you say that, or when she says, uh, you know, again, thank you, Sasha. When you say that, you know, if there were more games like that, I mean, that really touches on on just the kind of the uniqueness of this. It's really hard to think of games that kind of capture that now. Definitely. And, you know, adventure games are coming back. Uh, Telltale is definitely doing a lot in that regard. And things like the iPad and different tablets are really kind of, you know, made for this, right? Um, they just released Machinarium on the iPad 2, which is an amazing adventure game that is very much in in, uh, in line with what this game kind of looks and feels like. Uh, did you see that uh, Jonathan Blow is making a Mist-like game, uh, the Mr. Mr. Braidman? I, I definitely did not, but that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think that's um, good news. I forget what it's called. I think it's called like the the, the Wanderer Explorer or something like that. It's uh, the, the Witness. It's called the Witness. There we go. Um, and it's a couple of years out, but it is very similar to this. So it's you know it's coming back, and there are going to be more of them. Yeah, that, and that'll that'll be really awesome. And you know, as much as you, you we can talk about how adventure games are coming back, which I agree with you. There's definitely kind of a renaissance going on. Um, Combining it with that that specific atmosphere and kind of the intangibles, you know, is something that we could use more of as well. So it's exciting to hear that there's kind of like a, you know, I trust Jonathan Blow to kind of hopefully capture on, on what would make that special and, and lonely. Yeah, exactly. And, and heartbreaking. So, so hopefully, you know, it's, if, hopefully, you know, Jonathan Blow can, you know, do his best to try to make me make me feel like a terrible person and cry <laughs> uh, again. God. Sure. He knows how to do that. He knows how to manipulate manipulate you emotionally. So yeah, and our uh, our next comment here comes from John Wolf, a listener, and he recorded uh, an audio comment, and here it is. So I was a Mist virgin. I had not played Mist until uh, last week. I always avoided Mist because it seemed like it was going to be boring and like it was going to be one of those games where their puzzles didn't really make any sense and there wasn't going to be any intuitive way to figure out what to do and it didn't really turn out that way um i liked it a lot more than i thought i would the uh the atmosphere actually i felt like still holds up i i was a bit sucked in the the music was good the acting uh, was not good. Uh, pretty much any time a video came, especially for the brothers, it was really annoying. I, I didn't really like them. plot was pretty bad. The twist at the end was pretty bad. But I like exploring. Um, some of the puzzles were a little bit annoying, but not really any more than I would expect out of any game like that. After playing it, I'd say I kind of missed out. So yeah, it seems like John was not quite as taken in as, as we were with the, uh, the kind of exploits of Sirius and Akinar. I liked them because they were hammy, though. Yeah, I, I think that that's probably probably what's at work here. You know, it's kind of one of those things like that Resident Evil 1 
acting and everything. Like I really like that, but I recognize it's bad. I'm not. I'm not usually prone to uh, liking things because they are quote so bad they're good. Usually things are just bad. It just reminds me of that era of games where they felt the need to insert real people in. Usually, what I find that I'm appreciating, and this is true of Mist, when I appreciate something that's so bad it's good, is that it's really bad or kind of misguided in a unique way like what i'm appreciating is just kind of like how how weird and singular it is right you know and this and i also uh you know i find myself more likely to to enjoy it when the people who do it are 100 percent dedicated you know there's no irony on their parts you know and that's definitely the case here it's the community theater effect what's interesting about uh, john's comment is that it sounds a little bit like he you know he didn't have experience with this you know at all when it came out and, uh, you know, I wonder how much of his, his kind of initial apprehension was informed by the reputation of the game. This game is, was part of the culture for so long that it was impossible to go into it fresh. And, you know, and, and luckily, you know, I'm glad that he, he gave it a shot and played along with us because it, you know, it sounds like he got something out of it. And, you know, that's that's great. And I like the idea because this show doesn't always have to be about looking back. Just uh, it, it, it can be that you're playing these games for the first time. Yeah, that, that's actually, you know almost the case for me with this one i you know i never played it in any serious way right beforehand so and i'm sure in the future you know especially once we get into some of the uh the listener request stuff it'll be things that i do not have a strong attachment to oh definitely yeah and our, our final comment that we have i uh, received is from listener Derek hayes and it is uh written and i'll go ahead and, and read that now i remember when mist originally came out it was so amazingly advanced that it had to be put on a cd-rom unfortunately the awesomeness has worn off a bit, and not only does it look like an old game, it plays like an old game. None of the puzzles were so difficult that I couldn't figure them out, but I still used a walkthrough because of the tediousness. So many of the puzzles punish you if you make a mistake. I also don't know who thinks mazes are fun, especially when you don't have free look. Navigating Channelwood and the underground maze in whatever the sound age was called was painful. Even with hints given in-game, it still pissed me off. Mist wasn't all bad, though. It made up for these gameplay problems with an excellent atmosphere. The ambient noises, the well-placed music, and the loneliness of the ages made the experience a strange combination of relaxing and eerie. I gave it one and a half thumbs up. P.S. The FMV acting is golden. Bring me red pages. <laughs> um, so Derek, Derek also uh, uh, caught on to the, the glory of the red pages. The catchphrase. Yeah, the, the, the new podcast catchphrase bring me red pages oh i like that how oh, he, he's uh he's not afraid to uh to kind of to kind of rag on it and i think those are valid those are definitely valid criticisms oh yeah 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 and i i, I really like the uh the combination of relaxing and eerie in that statement because that's definitely you know the case that's how i would describe the majority of my dreams <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 true that, that does happen a lot of times it's a, it's a good, you know, it's not something that I feel very often in real life, uh, kind of relaxed and creeped out, but that's, that's definitely two elements that Mist has in abundance. There's something to be said. I mean, even if the game part of this is is frustrating, the, the, the resounding theme that runs through all of this is that uh, people enjoy the atmosphere. This is something that I've I heard or maybe said about uh, kind of more recent games like Heavy Rain. Specifically, Heavy Rain is not a very good game. I would say, but uh, as a, as an experience engine, um, that may or may not have been a 
phrase that I coined, so I don't want to take credit for it, <laughs> but just as kind of, as kind of this, uh, this, this mechanism that, you know, kind of walks you through these scenarios and has you, you know, experience feelings, it really succeeds. And I think that there might be a place for that. Um, that gets into, well, what is technically a game, et cetera, et cetera, which is a conversation I, w- I would rather cut my cock off than have it. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> A little too early in that. I'd say the experience engine is either what you mentioned or it's a lost uh, Silver Age DC Comics plot (laughs) where where Darkseid brings out the experience engine and has to, uh, you know, suck out enough experiences to power the cosmic pangalactic panoply, you know. Um, That's that's a nice turn of phrase if you did make it up. The the experience engine idea, though, you can kind of extend that, you know, where there are games that have, I find that a lot of my favorite games, they are not necessarily that sound of games, but because what they allow me to do, you know, the kind of experiences I'm allowed to have in them is what makes them great. You know, I think about that a lot when I think about uh, the Bethesda games, like I think about, you know, uh, Oblivion or Fallout 3, is that the games themselves aren't put together that well, but you can just do so many neat things. You know, that it just it, it makes it makes up for any kind of flaw in the actual gameplay. It's a little bit different than what it sounds like you're saying with Heavy Rain, which I haven't played. But I did play the uh, the PlayStation 2, the precursor to that. Indigo Prophecy. I have played Indigo Prophecy, which was a similar kind of thing. I, I value games and I value, I value experiences that kind of make me feel anything except bored annoyance. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% with you on that That, that's such a common emotion for me that uh i just i treasure uh things that can take me out of that so we've discussed this and we've read all the responses and we would have to say that uh derek wins the uh grand prize for this episode a copy of next Fortnite's game which we will reveal uh presently and uh so derek uh if you're listening to this just uh we will we will be in touch uh, probably through Facebook. That's how you got us this message. And uh, we'll figure out the logistics of, of getting you that. If you would like a chance to win uh, a, a game from us, you can listen to the instructions at the beginning of the segment or the end of the episode to respond and offer your thoughts about whatever game we're discussing next. And win big, just like Derek. I feel a little bit like the running man. Like <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can be like, you know, Derek, Price, and Haddad. Last season's winners. Um, but Derek is not a burnt-up corpse. We were not killing the people who win our contest. No, no. Just to try to entice you. Very, very clear on that. Frankly, Cole, I don't know why we're explaining this. So you don't die, you win a game. So yeah, so that about wraps it up for Mist. Um, so we've determined what we're going to do for the... The third game, and it's not something that was suggested by a listener, uh, for that we apologize and we will do more listener suggestions. It's kind of a perfect, you know, uh, uh, we suggested it and it just kind of both really appealed to us. And uh, we're doing uh, Call of Cthulhu Dark Corners of the Earth. The easiest way to get a hold of this will be on Steam. You can get it there for $10. And uh, if you are lucky enough to have it on Xbox or maybe unlucky, I'm not sure which version is the uh, less buggy of the two, it will play on that. And it is backward compatible on the Xbox 360. Yep, I, I believe that the uh, the Xbox version is a little bit less buggy. The PC one has some uh, an unfortunate error that sometimes you can't finish the game without uh, like a pretty frustrating thing. And we'll talk about all this. It's a very buggy game, very flawed, but very awesome. You know, I encourage everyone who's listening to this, who's 
we would like to to play along because it's it's one of my favorite games. It's really great. It's worth your time. So in in the meantime, before uh, before we start that out, um, you know, I just want to let you know if you like the show, uh, please rate and review us on iTunes. We're still gunning for that new and noteworthy notation. If you are interested in other programs that we create, let's do this very quickly. Uh, the, <laughs> very quickly cross promotion here um, uh, other stuff that I can do those damn Ross kids and stand under the don't tree and riddle me this du- at duckfeed.tv you can find those programs there and you Gary yep and I do a, a show uh, relatively weekly called Dead Idea Valhalla you can find it at www.deadideavahala.com or on iTunes and we can't thank you enough for paying attention to this and for listening to us and giving us your time the response so far has been heartening it has been very encouraging the the, the you know the, the nice things that have been said about us in uh, certain corners of the of the internet and dark corners of the internet call it <laughs> Cthulhu dark corners of the internet I don't want to play that game I don't want to play that <laughs> take no. that off the list Gary <laughs> no um, so yeah, so and if you have any suggestions for us for future games, if you want to contribute, um, there's a couple ways you can do so. And uh, as we already said, you know, you do win a game, so it's it's worth your time. Uh, if you want to email us at watchoutforfireballs at duckfeed.tv. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can give mm. us a call at 419-834-WOFF. That is not toll-free. That costs money. But, mm-hmm. but uh, everyone has free nights and weekends, cell phone plans anyway. Just call us at night when you're good and drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you don't have to call because you want to talk about mist or anything. You can call and talk to us about whatever. Yeah, you know, we're, we're here for you. But if you want to give us all of your information, you can go to facebook.com slash watch out for fireballs and become a fan of us there and leave your uh, input on the show and your thoughts on the games. And we will definitely read comments from there as well. So until uh, fortnight from now, two weeks, um, this is Gary Butterfield. This is Cole Ross. And as always, please watch out for fireballs. walking around kind of talking mostly to my cats and stuff and just you know bring me red pages i need the red pages you know to and my cats would just stare at me they don't they don't know why i need red pages and i guess that's not out of the ordinary if they brought you red pages then that's a youtube sensation yeah that would be good i should trick one of them into doing it do that that would be awesome missed cats <laughs>